Welcome to the Health Ignited Podcast with your hosts, Dr. Nick and Sonia Jensen. We are partners, parents, business partners, doctors, yoga teachers, and retreat leaders. We promise to bring you real conversations to awaken and ignite your potential to live your best life possible. Join us each week as we dive into topics varying from brain health, biohacking, hormones, and longevity, to relationships, parenting, meditation, and more. Together, creating community and building stronger foundations for the generations to come. All right, welcome everybody to an episode of Health Ignited with uh, my amazing wife and partner, Dr. Sonia Jensen. And we, we are here today with uh, an incredible human being, someone who helped to foster our early uh, naturopathic training uh, back when we were in naturopathic uh, medical school. He was one of our supervisors. He taught a few different courses to us in the you know, sort of advanced training our last couple of years. And uh, how I remember Dr. Jason Hughes in our earlier training years was really this is the first time we got to meet a healer and not just a doctor. And I didn't realize that there was um, qualities that certain doctors had or did not have. I just assumed that everyone was a healer when I was going through the school that we, that we went through. Um, but we got to see a much broader picture and, and things weren't so you know, microscopic in, in their thinking and, and compartmentalized. He was able to bring concepts together that, that we would have never thought of before. And so, you know, he's definitely an early mentor for us. Um, what, what, what do you think, Sonia? Yeah, he exudes the, the foundation of naturopathic medicine and um, as a healer of looking at the whole person and not just the physical person, but the emotional piece, the spiritual piece. And the mental piece too. And I, you know, for myself, I think I chose like every um, shift I could with him. I remember it was Fridays every week. And he, out of all the supervisors and teachers, like I had kind of a challenging time at the school. And I would say that he put so much belief into me and was such a big part of creating um, courage and also just belief in myself that I could do what I was kind of meant to do. So I'm just so grateful and thankful for him and just watching him over the last couple of weeks on social media. You know, I talked to Nick, I was like, we got to talk to Dr. Talk to Dr. Hughes. I can't even call him Jason. I have to call him Dr. Hughes because <laughs> I have so much respect for him. And um, he's just exudes, you know, um, this philosophy of looking at like what Nick was saying, the bigger picture and what really matters. It's not, it's not the details. It's like what's our bigger purpose here why are we here and how can we as a collective serve the world together yeah so dr dr jason hughes thank you for being here with us today oh, thank you guys you you are too kind can i tell you a little story about the the experience i had of being a supervisor and, uh, mm -hmm. and a teacher yeah so um <clears throat> my brother is a lawyer and we had an interesting similarity in the sense that he was a lawyer that taught at his uh, alma mater, his law school. And uh, I remember when I was starting to kind of teach at, at Boucher, um, the school you guys went to, um, I remember having conversations about, uh, you know, the, the experience of teaching to people that are, weren't just lay people, but people that were almost your peers. <laughs> if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And he, he said an interesting story because he's actually a, uh, he's a public speaker, my brother now. And so he, he said something interesting. He said, you know, I can get up in front of a thousand people and be fine. But if you put me in front of like six lawyers, 
that's when I really get nervous. (laughs) (laughs) And the reason is, is because um, the people that were almost lawyers knew what they were talking about. And so my experience with teaching was that I got as much or more from the process of teaching than whatever I gave. So I really think that, that uh, um, teaching is something that will allow you to actually digest and look at material from a hundred different angles, if you understand what I'm talking about. So I really, I, uh, I think that kind of experience of teaching is something that can be super helpful in helping you be very kind of critical of all the the beliefs that you hold and the kind of ideas you hold about medicine. Um, you know, when I first started teaching was when, you know, there's something happened when before I graduated, we all used notes. And then something happened between the time I graduated and when I started teaching with you guys, because when I started teaching you guys, everybody had a computer and was hooked up to the internet. <laughs> uh-huh. The times are so, different, change fast. I remember very vividly, like if I said anything that was remotely questionable, <laughs> I'd get called on it like super fast. Well, so Dr. it was also Google was around. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so I remember that the whole process was something that was, was very humbling and allowed me to kind of really um, hone my skills of not only um, becoming a better doctor, but also learning how to kind of explain things. And I think, Uh, Learning how to explain things is something that's incredibly important. The word doctor literally means teacher. Mm -hmm. And so uh, the ability to kind of convey what you're trying to get across, kind of uh, more complicated and complex issues of of what you're trying to get across, I think, in in ways that people can understand and relate to is really, really important. Mm -hmm. Yeah, love that. Jason, one of the things that we talked about before getting on this call was you know, we're, we're facing a world that's where we're constantly being challenged by our, our belief systems and, you know, things change real fast in this modern age, as you said, even with going from note taking to computers. Um, where do like, what do you think one of the bigger challenges for people are in the realm of understanding what's truth for them versus filtering through and understanding a deeper understanding of uh, uh, discernment? Uh, because I think that's a really important discussion and topic for people because we all have a sense of idealism within us, uh, us as well. Um, and we want things to be a certain way. And so we look for things that validate that. And so we label truth on that. Uh, we don't always appreciate that there's other sides. There's other, there's other ways to look at that and reflect through discernment. So I, I think that's a great conversation for, um, uh, for today. So if you could share on that point, that'd be great. Sure. Well, <clears throat> Maybe what I'll, I'll give my two cents. You know, I think our, our present time can be defined as uh, a time of complete uncertainty. You know, I read this, uh, I read this book recently, and this book was called, um, uh, civilized to death by this guy named Christopher Ryan. It was a really great book. And his main premise of the book was like, um, uh, this, this idea of civilization 
is um, it's almost like a Ponzi scheme. Okay. And in the book, he kind of talked a lot about some of the research around hunter gatherer tribes and compared and contrast this idea of, you know, the experience of being a hunter gatherer versus the experience of being a modern. And one of the metaphors that I really liked was that, um, you know, in his research, he actually had to go to a lot of zoos. And he was observing as he was doing all this research. And so one of the things he observed is when he went to the Calcutta Zoo, um, the animals were just in these tiny little cages, right? And people would just kind of come by and see them in these tiny little cages. And that was their experience of going to the Calcutta Zoo. But when he went to the San Diego Zoo, I don't know if you've ever heard of the San Diego Zoo, but the San Diego Zoo is, is very cool in the sense what they try to do is they try to uh, match the environment of, you know, what the animals are in with the, the natural environment of what the animal is used to. So one of the premises of this book is that, um, you know, we're all trapped in a cage called society and that we might have more influence over the type of cage we're trapped in than we give ourselves credit for. So this idea of all this uncertainty with the coronavirus, I think one of the things that's done uh, it's it's woken people up to this idea that they've been in a cage and they kind of woke up and like oh my god I'm I'm in this cage and I, I don't know if you've been experiencing this but just going through a Facebook stream people are saying you know don't go back to normal and what's going on with the world and how can we re-examine the things that we've been living our life by so so I've been thinking about this because you know this idea of waking up and realizing that you're in a cage how do you kind of how do you kind of navigate a way forward and I think that's where this idea of like sense making comes in this idea of like trying to discern what's true and what's not. So I think one of the ways we can talk about this is um, from this idea of the difference between absolute and relative truth. So <clears throat> what's absolute truth, what's relative truth? So. Relative truth is, it kind of points to this idea of uh, that uh, it's relative. So, for example, we have all sorts of relative truths in life. Like, uh, um, you know, well, for example, we could, we could talk about uh, um, all sorts of different perspectives people that ha have, right? So, some truths that are relative might have more weight. Some truths that are relative might have more weight. So one of the ways I kind of talk about this idea of relative truth is, is this way. Um, suppose you have a health condition. If you're like a huge percentage of the population of the world, 
if you have a health condition, one of the first things you do is you go to Google. Mm -hmm. And what do you do? You type in, I have this health condition. And what comes up on Google? Everything. Right. <laughs> right. So what comes up on Google is a hundred different perspectives. Yeah. That makes sense? Mm -hmm. So part of the problem with that is that those hundred different perspectives are all coming from experts. Mm -hmm. That makes sense to you. Yeah. So how in the hell are you supposed to navigate that? So in some of the, the theories that I've kind of exposed myself to what they would talk about this idea of like a perspectival madness. And what the hell does that mean? It means you have this expert over here saying this thing and this expert over here saying this thing and this expert over here saying this other thing and this expert over here saying this other thing. So part of the problem with this idea, like this, this kind of concept of absolute relative the truth is, is that when you take your relative truth for an absolute truth, mm. that's when you run into, into problems. Yeah. That's happened all over the place right now, isn't it? <laughs> that's, and we're yeah. all we're all guilty of it in our own our own mm -hmm. in our own way, right? I mean, we we absolutely filter things through our past experiences, what we want to believe in our idealism, and maybe who our mentors are, and and what we've always known to be true. But yeah, that's 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 mm -hmm. totally it, and that's that's part of that instability I think that we're in right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because uh, I think I also think then the ego gets so attached to mm. that identity with that absolute truth that we do everything and anything to defend it. Right. Whether, whether even there's a different voice in our mind saying, well, actually, maybe let's look at this from a different perspective. Even that we will, won't mm. listen to because the ego is just really ready to jump into the arena and fight for what we have believed for so long, yeah. even though we know it's a relative truth. Right, right. Yeah, you know, I think I think those are those are excellent points, and I think they're spot on, right? Um, and you know, I've been I've been thinking a lot about like how how to navigate that, right? And I think the the first part is just the recognition that we have all these different kind of relatives perspectives out there, right? And the reason they're out there is, you know, they, they may provide use, they may have service, they might be valuable, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, for example, we could talk about the difference between kind of a, an alternative medicine view of things versus a traditional or more allopathic medical view on things. From where I'm sitting, like those are both relative, relative truths, right? Mm -hmm. We could bring in this idea of like germ theory versus terrain theory I mean, these are all these are all relative truths and i think that that they have important truths to contribute to the overall picture mm -hmm. and you know one of the ways i've kind of talked about this with some people is this idea of like you have all these different perspectives out here right and how do you kind of navigate that well i think what needs to happen and i think this time is really calling for this is it's developing a capacity to be okay with uncertainty. Mm. And if we can develop this capacity to be, to be okay with uncertainty, 
we might be able to develop the also a, a very similar capacity to hold multiple perspectives in our minds simultaneously without negating or bias. Mm -hmm. So one of the ways I kind of talk about this with people is like, so you, you, you have this health condition and you go to Google and you type it in, you get a hundred different perspectives, right? So, and all of these perspectives are experts, right? So the way I've kind of talked about it with some patients is expose yourself to as many of these people or these perspectives as you feel comfortable, but hold them like this. Don't hold them like this. Mm. Right? Yeah. Because if you hold them like this, what's going to happen? You're going to defend them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Tunnel vision. Totally. Mm -hmm. That makes sense? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Is there, I mean, it kind of begs the question, like, is there an absolute truth in in medicine or, or health like is there anything that we could go this is absolutely true then because everything that we've learned uh, usually i mean i mean there's there's studies there's clinical experience there's case studies there's um you know there's people's account of how things happen there's all sorts of different relative truths out there is there anything that people can you think hang their hats on as far as um some absolute truths and I would argue that I think that there are some, but I'm curious to hear what you have to say on that. Uh, this might be about my pay grade. <laughs> <laughs> well, what I was going to say is I like to use the, the plant analogy. You know, if you've, if you've got a plant and we know the plant needs sunlight, the plant yes. needs some soil, right? The plant needs some carbon dioxide to, to inhale and then exhale the oxygen. We know that there are certain things, physiologically speaking, that have seemed to stand the test of time. And so exactly. we, could, we could, and then water obviously is one of those too. And where, where I like to postulate for the, the people we work with is what if you could relate to the basic necessities for health when it comes to to your own body and what if we could look at look to plants for some proof of that um, because we could take that same plant put it into a closet and you know basically remove all those circumstances allowed to thrive and we would see that plant die and we could you know through scientific study do one thing at a time we could give it some water inside the closet it was probably yeah. not going to do a whole lot or he, you know, change the soil in the closet. It's not going to do a whole lot. There, there's some aspect to doing multiple things together that make something yeah. true. So I'd, yeah. I was just going to, cause I just thought of like Gary Zukov's work, which mm. we've talked a lot about going from like the five sensory to almost like the multi-sensory and looking at mm. us as individuals, health, finances, whatever it is, until we can look at it from a multi-sensory point of view, and but also look at the foundational piece that you're speaking to, we can't support anything because we're, it's like what Dr. Hughes was saying, then you're holding on to something so tight, but when you have the multi-sensory, you can see the absolutes for what they are as well, because there are absolutes out there, but those absolutes don't, I find, dictate our um, yeah. relationships. Because it, it is what it is. Whereas our relative right. truths will dictate our belief about ourselves, our belief about the other, and then 
push us down a path that will, you know, sometimes not serve us or help us thrive, where in absolute truth, it is what it is. And right. if you anchor into it, we'll always help you thrive. I mean, that's just what I... You know, you know one of the ways I could kind of speak to that perhaps is, um, uh, I think... I think we could kind of have a long discussion around like what is absolute versus what is relative. You know, I've, I've been in practice for 17, 18 years now. And, you know, the longer I practice, the simpler I get. <laughs> totally. Mm -hmm. So here's, here's There's an absolute truth right there. <laughs> so, uh, I've, I've kind of boiled it down. Uh, um, if you want to be healthy, you got to eat well, you got to sleep well, you got to manage your stress, you got to move your body, and you probably shouldn't have crappy habits. Right? Now, we could, we could expand that. You know, there's, there's lots of information around kind of uh, relationships and kind of health of relationships and so on and so forth. But, um, you know, I think this idea of, of absolute truth is an ideal. And it's, it's something that, you know, you could kind of, kind of uh, create more definition and, and, and kind of uh, 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 it's more certainty around if you have like longer conversations. But I think, you know, I, I, it's, it's a hard conversation to have because, you know, you know, we could talk about a spiritual absolute truth. We could talk about an absolute truth in medicine. We could talk about an absolute. We all need oxygen. That's for certain. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right? That's a, that's a for sure. Yeah. We, we all need to, you know, go number one and number two. That's for certain. We all need to sleep. Right. So how much of those things are absolute truths or not? You know, these are, uh, this is the, been the, kind of the, the questions of science and medicine for, for, for a long period of time. But I think the concepts are important. You know, for example, you know, just the, uh, the amount of ideas that have come out about, you know, what the coronavirus is. I've heard so many theories about what coronavirus is, right? Where it was come from, how it affects the body, what, what should be used in order to kind of address it. These are all these different kind of perspectives that are out there. Now, I would say this whole idea of like trying to find truth. There are some there are some problems in our environment nowadays that inhibit this idea of trying to to find truth. I think one of the biggest one is this idea of like coalescing around a perspective. Mm. If that makes sense to you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So whether that perspective be, you know, hydroxychloroquine <laughs> or, or, you know, or even vitamin C, right? Mm -hmm. Right. So, you know, the idea that I talk about is like trying to kind of hold things like this rather than this, you know, maybe what we need is to kind of loosen up our perspectives enough so that we might be able to include as many perspectives as humanly possible in moving forward. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I see some serious challenges with that in our world and our culture and society right now. Mm -hmm. There's censorship. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right? There are, there are controls of how we can speak. Mm -hmm. 
There are, there are clear biases in policies. You know, I think, uh, I don't know how far you want to go down this rabbit hole, but, <laughs> but yeah, there are some very real kind of challenges for kind of understanding what's truth and how we can kind of discern what's truthful or not. Mm-hmm. There's fake news. And depending on who you speak to, you know, this is person's fake. No, this person's fake, right? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a crazy world right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if, you know, if we strip away all those details, because those are all details and they're playing out because, because of our different perceptions and because of our different beliefs and experiences, if you strip all that away, even those, you know, maybe in a position where they're making certain decisions that not everybody agrees with, and you look at them just as a human, like, what do you think is the motivation behind, not the motivation that's going to um, trigger certain things in a society, but like the overall bigger picture motivation for any human walking this earth when they're faced with uncertainty, what, what is it that drives them? to either go down this path or this path? Well, I, I, think, I, I think I could answer that kind of question in a lot of ways. So, um, so you guys have experienced uncertainty within the last month and a half? Oh, Just God, a little bit. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you guys crave a little bit of certainty right now? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Big time. Yeah. You, you I, saw the youngest one coming in yeah. here and disrupting yeah. the interview? <laughs> Yeah, I get it. Yeah. I think I think there's I think that the, the immediate reaction is is like there's this craving for a certainty again. I think that's dangerous. Because it, what will we give up for certainty and safety? Mm-hmm. Great question. Yeah. 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 I think of um, when you're saying that, I think of uh, the six, was it six principles or that Tony Robbins talks mm-hmm. about yeah. and these, these different yes. the basic needs, the basic yeah. six basic needs. Certainty is number one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And because, you know, certainty could mean that everything is mandated for you as a human being to happen right. this way. There's mm-hmm. a lot of certainty. In that. Well, then you don't have to think for yourself. <laughs> right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. What I'm talking about, like how yeah. much, so how much are we, willing to mm-hmm. kind of give up to regain some sort of sense of certainty mm. that's a great mm-hmm. question I mean, this see is, this is why we love yeah. you so much well this is came, this questions. is what came up for me when all of this started was you know how is it our population how are we being primed what are we being primed for to keep us in this state of fear and uncertainty that we like the first piece of certainty that shows up, we want to like grasp onto Mm. it so tightly because we're uncomfortable in this feeling right now. Yeah. Right. So, you know, this is why I kind of point to this idea of like, I think one of the most important goals for us right now for myself, I can't speak for other people, obviously, but you know, I think we have a tremendous opportunity if we can develop the capacity to um, to be able to kind of tolerate uncertainty better, then we have an opportunity to kind of really kind of uh, rewrite rewrite some of the the kind of governing principles. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Like, I, I, I don't know what's going on for you guys, but, you know, one of the things that's been happening in my own mind is uh, I've been thinking about reorganizing my life yeah. due to all of this. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, a big thing that's coming up for me is this idea of resilience. Mm-hmm. Right? So resilience in my health, resilience in my my finances and my income, resilience in my food supply, resilience in all sorts of ways, right? Yeah. So when I talk about this idea of like, um, if we have an opportunity, I think we have an opportunity as individuals, but also collectively as a society, you know, how do we want medicine to look? Yes. These, are, yeah. these, are all just, these are all just open-ended questions, by the way. I don't have yeah. answers for these open-ended questions, but, you know, really, you know, the way I've been trained, I, I look for the pattern that needs to be addressed, right? Mm-hmm. That's, that's what diagnosis is all about. Yeah. And we might not, you know, to kind of relate it to an experience of sitting with a patient, we might not have an answer. <sighs> we might not have a definitive diagnosis and we might not have an answer right away. But the idea is, is that we might know which direction we need to move. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Does that make sense to you? That's mm-hmm. beautiful. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And I can't help but but feel, you know, if these kind of this is why I love these conversations because they're they're very intriguing and they and they get people asking their own questions and it moves us out of our you know hold on our relative truths and it starts to ask some of those deeper questions of, you know, what's a what's a root cause stressor that maybe allowed for something to play out and like you said with regards to medicine, what do we want? our healthcare to look like going forward? What do we want our lives to look like as parents or, you know, whatever your profession is? Uh, what do we want that to look like going forward? How do we be, how do we develop that, that state of resiliency so that we can hold uncertainty, like you said, and uh, not grasp for something that, that gives us that certainty. So amazing concepts. So in, you know, on that sort of root cause discussion, doctor, doctor is teacher, you know, part of the education is, well, what, what if, <clears throat> what if there was some truth in being preventative, having a preventative focused mindset with regards to, you know, this coronavirus? What we know to be somewhat true is that there are people getting sick that have comorbidities, have underlying health conditions, you know, and then there's a lot of people wearing masks and gloves and things like that. Um, you know, what's, really serving the bigger picture can you wear a mask and gloves and still eat twinkies and you know kit kat bars and mcdonald's or you know not to hate on any one particular company but can we eat the standard american diet and glove and mask ourselves and hope that hope for the best or can we choose that we can take some responsibility for where we are build our intracellular resilience build our the health of our body and see what kind of outcomes that we have going forward. I think we have an opportunity to really dive into these questions for ourselves and say, you know, what's going to be more serving of us as a, as a humanity population. All right. So I want to say a few things. So one thing, you know, I've been, I've been doing my best to keep up with the information around coronavirus as much as humanly possible. I think it's impossible for any one individual to be all alone. Yeah. Uh, coronavirus. But I will say this, if the research that I've exposed myself to says anything, it says this, the people that have the hardest time with coronavirus 
are elderly with lots of comorbidities. Yeah. Right? So, you know, I was reading this interesting article and I posted it on my social media. Um, <clears throat> and uh, it, it was basically, you know, making this point. And I, I read several years ago of medical doctors who would not see patients if they smoked. People had to give up smoking if they wanted to get good, a good medical doctor. Mm. So, you know, I think a really interesting question that this coronavirus could be posing to us as a society right now is, if it's true that the people that are having the hardest time with coronavirus are the people that are, that are elderly and unhealthy, how much personal responsibility goes into this equation? Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the things that I think this whole experience is showing us is the interrelatedness of us all. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. And we have all these really, really hard questions like, so if we're going to shut down the world for the health and the safety of people that are elderly with lots of comorbidities, what consequences does that have? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, the article that I posted was showing that, you know, the UN was suggesting that hundreds of thousands of children will die due to the effects of poverty this year. Mm -hmm. And when you start to kind of pull those kinds of kind of topics into the conversation, then you start to have uh, a more kind of, wide-ranging conversation of cost-benefit ratios between what kind of interventions you do. I'm going to expose my bias. You know, a lot of the other research that I've done has shown that supporting immune system functioning is incredibly important right now. Mm -hmm. Incredibly important. Vitamin C, vitamin D, potentially things like ozone therapy, oxidative medicines, these are all really, really important, and they need to be explored further, right? Another bias that I have is that those types of interventions are probably going to get suppressed. Yeah. Right? And they have, we, we know they have been already. I mean, if we just looked at some of the basic information coming out of you know, China, what's been used in different parts of the world, and what's allowed or not allowed to be you know, implemented in a protocol with safe, very, very safe therapies. I mean, it's, we know it's happening. Right. Right. Well, so you know, this goes back to this kind of point that we're talking about with respect to courage. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. So, so now is a time to, to stand up mm -hmm. and, and really, you know, I think it doesn't mean you get to, you know, poo poo the other side, mm -hmm. <laughs> but it, it, it means you need to be able to kind of stand up and, and kind of, kind of, uh, discuss your perspective on things with as much confidence and courage as humanly possible. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm going to tell you what I'm skeptical of right now. I'm skeptical of certainty. Mm. Anybody yeah. that's certain about anything right now, I'm skeptical of them. Yeah. And that includes the people that are the most scientific. Yeah. If you understand what I'm talking about. Totally. Right? But to your point, Nick, it certainly seems to me, and I'm saying that with all irony, that improving the function of the system and the immune system 
is not going to hurt mm -hmm. and has the potential to be very beneficial. And I will stand up and I will say that in a full-throated way as much as I can to as many people as I can. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, it's just creating such a beautiful opportunity, I think, for, from the conversation that we've been having is like, what do we want our future medicine to look like? And this is creating awareness of like, we were a vulnerable population because we haven't been taking responsibility, because we haven't been looking at our food industry, because we haven't been looking at our environment and the toxins and the things that we are doing every single day to our bodies from our toxic thoughts, from toxic relationships to toxic food, to all of that, that's creating a vulnerable environment. So it can create a real opportunity to understand your own body and learn about your own immune system and what's targeting it so that we can shift the gear and start supporting it and nurturing it. And it goes back to the Hippocrates, I would say, Hippocrates. whatever, <laughs> that guy, that really good quotes, he says, you know, you can't heal someone until they take risk or, or until they're willing to give up what made them sick. Yeah. So it, it keeps going back to that continuously. Yeah. And what, you know, you guys were talking about the uncertainty piece. And I feel like the biggest uncertainty that people fear is death. And that oh. is what drives all of this yeah. and what drives oh. everyone's decisions. And if we can just have a different relationship to that, I think all our decisions would be different. Mm -hmm. I, I wholeheartedly agree with that. Sonia. I think, you know, I think that goes, that's an, that's an unsaid piece of all medicine, but you know, it's so prevalent right now. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I don't have the figures off the top of my head, but if you look at the more the, the the fatality rates of coronavirus and you compare that to things like seasonal flu or any other condition that kills people with with regularity you will see that the the fatality rate is very it's not this anymore yeah it's actually much more along the lines of a, a, a bad seasonal flu yeah and and those are real numbers <laughs> yes that's just math <laughs> right right yeah so do you guys ever remember kind of shutting down the world for anything that killed a small percentage of the population mm. now why have we done that we've done that out of the fear of death yeah so i think i think you're exactly right i think this this fear of death needs to be looked at. Yeah. Well, yeah, in, in this conversation, the things you guys just brought up too, I can't help but think that look at Costco 15 years ago, no organic food, you know, nothing there. There's so much buying power and movement and of trajectory of consumerism based on what's being bought. Can you imagine if all of us stood up as a global community and demanded for organic food that demanded for, you know, the annihilation of sugar, the sugar industry. Like what if we all stood up courageously and said, you know, what? I'm going to put that garbage in my body anymore. I'm not going to put high fructose corn syrup, you know, fake food, processed food into my body. And I just, I say no. Like, what if that was part of this global movement forward to build resiliency? Now, I mean, not everyone is going to have the financial means to do this and whatnot, but there could be mass education 
going out, telling people how to do this on a shoestring to support, you know, what we need to do from a resiliency point of view. Because at the end of the day, like you said, we, if we put our certainty in something that's outside of us, that's going to be the savior for us through this, you know, mild crisis in comparison to what's, you know, the fertility rate, say of like cancer, cardiovascular disease, we have given up a liberty of what it means to be a human being and not taking any of the responsibility on that we need to, to actually fix the underlying problem. Right. You know, and you could get me on my, my soapbox right now and Do it. Start, <laughs> start saying things like, uh, you know, in an evolved society, you know, the policies of our governments wouldn't be kind of, um, uh, you know, pushing, uh, one of those perspectives yeah. they'd be they'd be actively engaged in supporting all of those perspectives because they all have a, an important piece of the truth to contribute in my opinion and you know you know i think another potential we have right now is, is that um we we have the potential to rewrite some of those things as well hopefully but i think we we need to be we need to be diligent right now because if some of the legislation that kind of goes that that's potentially going through goes through, and we could lose a lot of those freedoms to stand up and say, "Hey, mm -hmm. I have personal liberty over own my own body, and I want to be able to kind of use the type of medicine that I want to use and not be dictated to." Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you know, you're you're preaching to the choir with respect to the the, the particular philosophy, yeah. Nick. I mean, I don't think you need to. You don't need to sell me on that. <laughs> but what I am concerned about is that that we we don't acquiesce. Mm -hmm. We you know we 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 really look into our own hearts and we, we kind of we develop the courage to kind of say, hey, wait a minute. You know, what happens if we do kind of foster this idea of self-resilience with our health a whole lot more yeah how does that look right mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know this whole idea of a magic bullet to solve our problem i don't think it's it's going to solve all of it yeah i'm open to information to tell me otherwise but i don't think it's going to solve all of it yeah so this idea of like the germ theory, you know, when I was in, in undergrad, uh, <clears throat> I created my own major as an undergrad. And in order to do that, I, I had to write this thesis. And uh, my thesis was on super germs. Hmm, interesting. And, and, and uh, one of the things I learned in that thesis was that the amount of mutations and the amount of sharing of information between microbes, it boggles the mind. So, you know, one of the ways I, I kind of talked about it is like we, you know, this, this idea of like a war against the germs, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So this idea of the war against the germs is, is it's not a war the germs will win if they want 
And here's the idea that I try to get across. How many biotech labs do you think exist in the world? You know, I, we're not going to have an exact number. Thousands, hundreds of thousands, I don't know. Maybe, I, I don't know the exact number, no. but it's going to be in the thousands, right? Yeah. Now, think about how many viruses exist in the world. Billions? Trillions, <laughs> trillions, trillions, trillions. How many bacteria exist within the world? Trillions. Trillions, yeah. trillions. Yeah. So here, here's the metaphor, right? Each one of those has the capacity to mutate. Mm -hmm. Right? Each one of those has the capacity to become more virulent and spread easier. So really the idea of like a magic bullet to solve the germ theory is a really problematic idea in my own mind because you have this, you know, say, say we have 5,000 just for argument's sake. I, I don't know the exact number. Say we have 5,000, you know, reputable biotech labs that can produce a new antibiotic or some sort of antiviral or some sort of vaccine, right? I'm sure you guys are aware of the hit rate with flu vaccines. Mm -hmm. Do you understand what I'm talking about? Yep. And why do they have to do a new one every year? Mm -hmm. Because this potential of these viruses to mutate. So the idea is, you know, we, we have 5,000 biotech labs and the microbes have trillions and trillions and trillions of biotech labs. Mm -hmm. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. That's not a competition. That's mm -hmm. not a war. No. <laughs> That's not a war. Yeah. yeah. Right? Yeah. So on the other hand, when we talk about the terrain theory, how long have microbes existed? Before us? Right. Billions and billions of years, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. How long has the immune system existed? Since we were around. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right? So there has always been this balance between the microbes and the immune system. Right? Yeah. We have, we have a defense mechanism that's evolved over millions of years to kind of address this. Mm -hmm. So my own bias is that an optimal, uh, optimally functioning system that has evolved over the course of millions of years that exists within us called our immune system probably has more effective and efficient mechanisms in play than 5,000 biotech labs that have been in existence for 50 years. Mm -hmm. does, that, does that make sense to you guys? Totally. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And nature could not have had it wrong. Like when you think about a pregnant woman and then when she turns her blood to make milk for her child, and that child does not have an active immune system for the first six months. Nature did something to provide for right. that. Mm -hmm. it's, there you it's go. It's called breastfeeding. That's right. <laughs> it's amazing. It's this new invention just came yeah. out a couple of years yeah. ago. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Uh, well, Jason, okay. I'm I'm curious, like there's so many different ways that this could go, this could go in this uncertain time. What's, what's your prayer and your dream for this world going forward? If you could paint a picture. 
my intention that I'm holding is that this stimulus actually does wake people up to understand that they've been in a cage and helps them reorganize their life so that we're not going to get rid of society. Mm-hmm. We're always going to have all these different kind of perspectives kind of at war with each other. But my hope is that this experience wakes people up to this idea of reprioritizing their life. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's how I'm trying to look at it in my own life. And, you know, I think, I think the amount of change that this is precipitating is going to be exponential and it's not going to be over when the virus is over. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, one of the ways I've kind of described this to people, uh, you guys had to take chemistry in high school, right? Mm-hmm. Right. So I don't know if you had the same chemistry class I did, but we did this experiment called a supersaturated solution. You guys mm-hmm. ever remember that experiment? Yeah. So the idea is, you know, you have a beaker with like salts and solution, it's spinning and you keep on adding salts and keep on adding salts and it keeps on spinning and it just gets super saturated. You have so much salt in there that you add one last crystal. Boom. And then it just goes. (laughs) And it all precipitates out like that. Mm Mm-hmm it's my strong intuition that that's what coronavirus is for the world. And I think it's that for the world because we're already seeing all the domino effects, mm-hmm. our economy. I, I, I'm very suspicious that this will have uh, consequences for political systems. Mm-hmm. So when I talk about this idea of like a super saturated solution, I, I mean, you know, what we're experiencing right now is like something that's going to reach everywhere. And my hope, my dream is that we have enough awareness to understand the opportunity that we're presented with right now. Mm-hmm. And not just be ruled by fear and a desire for certainty, mm-hmm. but we have enough courage to kind of sit in that uncertainty and ask important questions. Because I don't think anybody has answers right now, but if we ask really good questions, Mm -hmm. we might be able to move in the right direction. That makes sense. Does that make sense to you guys? Totally. Oh yeah. It's that saying the quality of um, your Mm -hmm. questions. Where your life depends on the- Yeah, your life depends on- The quality of your questions. That's right. Yeah. That quote. (laughs) That was so true. Yeah. That's so true. Mm-hmm. You you brought up so many incredible themes today: courage, resiliency. Um, what else did you say? Um, I mean, those are two big ones that stood out for me: courage and resiliency. Lo- looking at truth, relative versus absolute. Um, this this idea of um, how uncertainty can actually be a, a wonderful guide for our lives to reprioritize and and look at things with a, a much broader perspective to be open to different uh, realizations, and it's it's a it's such an important message for for the times that we're in, and and so I'm I'm super grateful for for everything you shared. 
Um, I would love for you know you to share or like like where do you practice? Yeah, you're Maple Ridge, I believe, right? Tell tell us a little bit more about you know what you do when uh, when there's no lockdown and you're helping people <laughs> on a day to day basis. <laughs> So uh, uh, yeah, I, I I run Maple Ridge Naturopathic Clinic at, uh, in the, the Fraser Valley, and um, been in practice for 17, 18 years now. Um, I do uh, I'm I'm a full spectrum naturopath, but I do a lot of work with pain. I do a lot of work with helping people with mental emotional issues. I do a lot of work with um, just helping bodies work better. Um, so so um, you know I really. Uh, uh, I love what I do, um, and uh, it's uh, it's a very rewarding thing. It really, really is. Um, so, so yeah. I hope I can continue to do it soon. Yes, we all do. <laughs> we all do. Yeah, we all do. <laughs> this whole thing's been a, a a major shift to my style. If you understand, what I'm talking about mm-hmm. totally. So. Yeah. How about you guys? Can I ask you a question about uh, what's what's been happening for you guys? I mean, I, I'm, this might be out of place for the the podcast, no. but <laughs> what's what's going on with your clinic? Yeah, it would be the same. Just doing more um, online and yeah. trying to navigate and just bringing more conversation into all of this, and I think just creating more awareness. So we're very um in alignment with everything that you said and that's just all we're trying to do right now is just share that message so Mm -hmm. that when we do shift out of this because everything is temporary so whatever that other side looks like we can now decide for ourselves and that's what we're trying to embody and also trying to teach to um to our patients so that they can start making that decision yeah you know i will say a, a, a preliminary unexpected silver lining Mm-hmm. is that um, because I'm not seeing as many patients in person right now, I'm posting a lot more videos. Mm-hmm. I'm getting out into the virtual space a hell of a lot more. And I'm trying to kind of be heard by more people. So mm-hmm. I think I think for me, that's actually been one of the, the positive effects of this whole experience in, in the recent past. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a newbie when it comes to putting myself out there on the virtual space, but I'm doing my best and uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what got us to reach out to you. Totally. Right. Cause like we've been re- seeing remind, remembering, been right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, appreciate, I appreciate all the things that you guys are doing in that regard as well. I think, I think that's really what's needed. It's like the idea, mm-hmm. it, it takes some courage to kind of put yourself out there, you know, mm-hmm. it really does. So this is the courage that I'm talking about. So just continue to speak regardless of, who kind of tries to take shots at you. Yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. totally. Well, you know, it's funny, like on that topic, and, and obviously you're natural at teaching and, and speaking, even whether it's in person or on camera. So, but one of the things that I, I realized about myself when I first started doing videos was that I didn't care about who listened to me on the public level. I was more concerned what my colleagues thought of me. And it was kind of like what you said that your brother had that experience yeah. of. I was so like, deathly afraid of like how are my peers going to see me and it's funny because everyone I think is feeling some version of that with their you know relative truths and what they're deciding to share in this world that we're in right now so um, I love that that your message is is courage and stand up and you know why why can't we stand up and and shout from the the mountaintops you know our love for this planet and how we want to 
dream things into into exactly now is the time for big time. questions guys totally you know, I, I will say that you know even within our own community of naturopathic physicians there's a very large spectrum of perspectives and viewpoints mm -hmm. i'm sure you yeah. guys are aware of that mm -hmm. right so um you know we we need to be able to kind of have the courage to stand up for the viewpoints that we have but also have the courage you know there's this great quote i'm not sure if i remember it off the top of my head but it's not enough to have the courage of your convictions. You also have to have the courage to have your convictions challenged. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So good. You, under, you understand? Yeah. yeah. So the, the idea is, is like, you know, being able to kind of be open and, you mm -hmm. know, understand what makes most sense to you, but be open enough to kind of listen to other people as well. And that's another whole topic, but it's mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> <Topic laughs> a great another. way to just summarize all of this. It's, it's just, it is. you know, holding everything like this, like you were saying with a flat yep. palm instead of constricted. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Hey, so Jason and Dr. Hughes, as, as Sonia wants to say, um, tell us your, your website, your, your on, on social media, like tell us every possible okay. place people can find you, follow you and learn more about uh, the work that you do. My website is uh, mapleridge-naturopathic.com. It needs to be updated. The, the place where I'm most active right now is my clinic uh, Facebook page, which is uh, Maple Ridge Naturopathic Clinic-Dr. Jason Hughes. That's where I'm posting most videos. Uh, I'm posting as much information, articles, so on and so forth. I'm trying to support people as much as possible through this. Yeah. Uh, and that's where I'm kind of most active with respect to conversations with people. It's a more, more robust kind of a platform if you understand what I'm talking about. I don't have all that love for Facebook, but it is <laughs> it seems to work. <laughs> yes. It provides an easy framework to kind of communicate with people yeah. at this point. And and Dr. Jason Hughes is still seeing clients virtually, so you can always yep. reach out to him that way. Um, yep. that's great. Any any last words that you want to share with uh the the audience? Uh deep bow to you guys. Hmm. Yeah. I great understand what like to have two kids and run a business and i think you guys are putting yourself out there in some really important ways so please continue yourself thank you thank you lots of love to you dr jason hughes you guys too okay we hope you enjoyed this episode of the health ignited podcast be sure to download subscribe and share as we build this conscious community together you can also find us on youtube facebook instagram and our website drsjensen.com Please note all information on this podcast is not and should not be taken as medical advice. Please see a healthcare professional to receive the care needed. Thank you for sharing this time with us, igniting your health freedom. And welcome to the tribe.